Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Estamos grabando, sí? Yeah. Paulo Estrada Velasquez is from Guatemala. He's a forensic archaeologist, which means his job is digging up dead bodies. Usually he's looking for people who disappeared during Guatemala's civil war. He actually started doing this kind of work because he wanted to look for someone from his own personal life. Mi papá fue detenido, desaparecido el 15 de mayo de 1984. Yo tenía un año Paulo was a year old when his dad disappeared, so he doesn't remember. Once Paulo was old enough to start asking questions, his mom told him his dad's name, Otto René Iesques. But beyond that piece of information, she was pretty hazy on specifics about who his dad had been. So she'd say things like, your dad isn't around because he wanted a different kind of world, or because he thought differently. This was all pretty hard on Paolo. Paolo says that as a teenager, he was a disaster. He was a rebellious skater kid who didn't spend much time at home, and he admits that he liked making problems. Me gustaban los problemas, me gustaba andar en patineta, armar lío. Y eso era como resultado también de, 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 de esa falta de información y ese vacío tan grande. Looking back now, Paolo says that his bad attitude came from this huge emptiness he felt because his dad was missing and because he had no idea what really happened to him. That all changed one day in 1999 when Paolo was 16 years old. He was hanging out at his friend's house when he got a phone call from his mom. Y cuando me llama me dice, miren, se va a ir a su casa, lo están esperando. She told him that he needed to go to his grandparents' house immediately. When he got there, his grandparents showed him a newspaper. The front page story was about a secret government document that had just been made public. Supposedly, the document was written by the Guatemalan military and contained the details of the deaths of 183 Guatemalans who had disappeared in the 1980s. They were among the 40,000 people who were disappeared during the country's civil war. The war, which went on for more than three decades, was mainly fought between a series of right-wing military governments and leftist guerrillas. Yo voy a tal página, hay una lista de nombres y aparecía otro Ernestra Yescas. Y le dije, abajo está mi tío. Mi mamá no se había dado cuenta que abajo estaba mi tío también. And in that list of names of the dead, Paolo saw his dad's name. He also saw his uncle's name, who'd gone missing not too long after his dad. That secret document eventually became known as the military diary. Finally, Paolo had some answers. Aparece que fue capturado el 15 de mayo y que iba herido. Paolo learned that his dad was captured on the 15th of May, 1984, in Guatemala City, 
and that his dad was part of a bunch of different guerrilla organizations too. And then there's this number, 300. 300 was a code that the Guatemalan military used to indicate that it had executed someone, which in this case it did. Two and a half months after Paolo's dad disappeared, he was killed. The military diary went public and changed Paolo's life more than 20 years ago. But only in the last year has the Guatemalan court system started to actually prosecute anyone for the crimes in the diary. And the court case has become a huge deal in Guatemala because the case is a chance for at least a few Guatemalan families to find justice in a country where justice is often elusive. But now, the case is in danger of imploding, along with Guatemala's entire justice system. Dozens of prosecutors and judges trying to root out corruption have been forced to flee the country. The corrupt strike back. And we see how the public institutions start being taken over, like the Supreme Court of Justice, the Constitutional Court. The courts themselves are being used to prosecute and imprison the judges who stay. And that's what's happening in the military diary case, too. The judge presiding over the case is under attack by a group with connections to the country's wealthy elite, people who want the past to stay covered up. In the midst of the pandemic, the Guatemala government are stealing the money from the vaccines and militarizes the country. The anti-corruption prosecutor is dismissed without justification. Son derechos humanos elementales que se han pretendido violar por jueces venales como Miguel Ángel Galvez. Tengo miedo, y no solo para mí, para mucha gente. Today, I talk to the judge at the center of the military diary case and the man who's trying to chase him out of the country to understand what might happen next. Will Guatemala finally reckon with its bloody past, or will it destroy anyone who tries? I'm Jesse Alejandro Cotro, and this is Vice News Reports. A few weeks ago, I was in downtown Guatemala City to meet the man in charge of the military diary case. I'm about to go meet Judge Miguel Angel Galvez, the judge who's kind of under attack right now by forces who want to stop him from trying the anti-corruption cases and cases that uh, the crimes against humanity, which he's in charge of right now. Galvez's office is on the 14th floor of the Tribunal Tower this huge, brutalist cement building that dominates the city's downtown. Judge Miguel Angel Galvez is a skinny man, mid-60s, with gray hair and big, thick glasses. His office is jam-packed with heavy legal tones and manila folders brimming with documents. El problema es que lamentablemente yo siento el tema para mí mayor es el el conflicto armado. O sea, el, eh, nosotros no hemos salido del conflicto armado. Galvez has been involved with the military diary case for a decade, and he's been thinking about Guatemala's disappeared since the height of the country's civil war in the 1980s when he was still in college. At first, the war was fought in Guatemala's rural countryside and largely affected indigenous Guatemalans, 
But in the early 80s, the war came to Guatemala City, the country's capital. The military began targeting university students who were suspected of supporting the left-wing guerrilla groups. Estudiando en la, en, la, en la carrera, comenzamos estudiando 112 compañeros y terminamos únicamente 12. Judge Galvez says that his university class started out with 112 students. Only 12 graduated. La mayoría los mataron o se fueron al exilio. According to Galvez, most of his fellow students were murdered or fled the country into exile. Pasábamos meses sin tener catedrático. Llegaba un catedrático, solo nos daba una clase y a los dos, tres días lo mataban. Galvez says that months would pass without his classes having a professor. And finally, when a new professor did show up, they would teach one class, and then a few days later, they'd be killed. As he's telling me this, his eyes well up, and only his big, thick glasses keep the tears from rolling down his cheeks. Guatemala is not a big country. It's about the size of Tennessee. And almost every Guatemalan alive back in the 1980s has stories of horrific things they saw or heard during the Civil War, or awful things they experienced firsthand. Reports published by the UN and the Catholic Church show that the Guatemalan military murdered thousands of innocent civilians during the Civil War, and that the state was responsible for more than 90% of the war crimes carried out. That said, the leftist guerrillas also did violent things. Yo fui objeto de un secuestro por parte de una facción guerrillera, una facción terrorista. This is Ricardo Mendez Ruiz. In 1982, he was studying to be a veterinarian at the University of San Carlos. Ricardo was actually there at the same time as Judge Galvez. Ricardo's dad was kind of famous. He had just been appointed the country's minister of the interior. So one day, Ricardo's standing outside one of his school buildings when he's suddenly surrounded by a group of people. Nos rodearon unos seis individuos que... They grabbed him, put him in handcuffs, and threw him in a vehicle, blindfolding him and covering his ears. His kidnappers took him to a hidden location. For almost two months, Ricardo wasn't allowed to bathe and didn't eat very often. He couldn't even stand up straight in the small space he was kept in. At one point, the kidnappers even told him that they'd held a revolutionary trial and found him guilty. They told him that he was going to be executed the next day. Ya lo he dicho y lo Como ministro de gobernación, no voy a poner en peligro la integridad del Estado. Como militar. While Ricardo was being held, his dad went on TV and made a public pronouncement. He was speaking directly to the kidnappers. No aceptaré chantajes. Como padre de familia, no admito que sea la vida de mi hijo un simple objeto de negociación. Él expresó que no. His dad told the kidnappers that he wasn't going to negotiate with them. Ricardo told me that he felt like his dad was implying that if they were going to kill a son, they should just do it. 
pronunciado esas palabras. Ricardo didn't hear about what his dad had said until he was finally set free. But he believes now that his dad's words are what saved him, that the kidnappers must have eventually realized that hanging on to him would accomplish nothing. And he actually says the incident brought him closer to his dad. In fact, the whole reason he told me this story is because I asked him what was his favorite memory of his father. This incident took place during the reign of a dictator named Efren Rios Montt, who was basically Ricardo's dad's boss. There has been a new government headed by General Rios Montt, an evangelical Christian. The leftists and human rights organizations claim repression and murder continue under Rios Montt. Rios Montt led Guatemala for just a year and a half in the early 80s. But even in the context of the long, bloody history of the Civil War, Rios Montt's 18 months of power stand out as a particularly horrible period. He murdered entire villages of indigenous people, claiming that leftist guerrillas were hiding there. Guatemala has witnessed scores of massacres. Its army has been accused of waging terror against... A few months after Rios Montt came to power, a PBS crew visited the highlands of Guatemala. We traveled through three provinces and saw whole valleys empty of humanity with crops abandoned. 35,000 have fled into neighboring Mexico. Thousands of people were killed during Rios Montt's short presidency. And for a long time, it seemed like he would never face any consequences for all those deaths. Ricardo and Judge Galvez understand this history very differently. For Ricardo, all that violence was the price of safety. But for Judge Galvez, it was clear that these were horrible crimes, and he was going to dedicate his life to making sure they never happened again. Galvez became a judge a few years after the war ended, around the same time that the military diary went public. He says that from the beginning, he felt like he was in danger. The first time he was ever threatened, he was presiding over a case in which the government was accused of helping transport cocaine. And during the trial, Galvez says that members of the military unit that guards the president's family approached him and handed him two pictures. One was a picture of his son, and the other was of his wife. And then the person who gave him the pictures told him that it would be better if he shut up. Así es que mejor que se or in other words, it would be better if he didn't convict. By the early 2000s, there was a huge crime wave in Guatemala. Things got so bad that Guatemala's president at the time, Oscar Berger, did something totally unprecedented. Aceptó que definitivamente el estado de Guatemala era incontrolable, especialmente con las estructuras criminales. The president asked the United Nations for help, and the UN listened. In 2008, they sent a team of foreign prosecutors and investigators to Guatemala to help the overwhelmed judicial system. This UN mission was called CSIG. ¿Qué significa la llegada de CSIG a Guatemala? Una prácticamente una esperanza que tuvimos. For Judge Galvez, the arrival of CSIG gave him and his colleagues hope, but it was also a huge experiment. La verdad es que la CICIG fue un, prácticamente un experimento de la ONU. Nothing like CICIG had ever been tried anywhere in the world. 
there were a million details to work out. But eventually, CSIG started to have a real impact on the country. Not only was the team assisting in these big, complex criminal trials, they were also helping to strengthen Guatemala's entire court system. Esos son los procesos de competencia ampliada, los que tienen características especiales. CSIC helped create these new courts called Cortes de Alto Impacto, or High Impact Courts, where especially dangerous cases would go. Cases where witnesses and lawyers and sometimes even the judges themselves were in danger. These courts are in Guatemala's capital, which are more secure than smaller courts across the rest of the country. Judge Galvez became one of those high-impact judges. The cases that ended up in his courtroom often involved organized crime or government corruption. Algunos procesos han caído aquí, especialmente el proceso ese de Efraín Ríos del proceso de genocidio. And the case that made Judge Galvez famous was the case of former Guatemalan dictator Efrén Ríos Montt. For a long time, even after the war was over, Rios Mont was untouchable. But in 2012, with the help of CSIG, Judge Galvez indicted Rios Mont. The former U.S.-backed dictator is accused of ordering the murder of nearly 2,000 native Maya between 1982 and 1983. This was the first time ever, anywhere in the world, that a former head of state would stand trial in a national courtroom for committing genocide. And then, a year later, in another judge's courtroom, Rios Montt was convicted and sentenced to 80 years in prison. I was in grad school at the time, studying human rights. I remember seeing the news and feeling super proud of Guatemala, because my mom's family is from there, and one of my uncles died during the Civil War. My family has never really figured out what happened to him, but always suspected that the government was somehow involved. So Rios Mont being convicted was a huge deal for my family and others who lost people during the war. But for those who worked with Rios Mont, his conviction made them deeply nervous. Rios Mont was Ricardo's father's old boss. Me sentí indignado. Como se sintió indignado. And when Rios Mont was sentenced to prison, Ricardo himself was indignant. In his mind, Rios Montt and his dad were heroes who fought for the country against dangerous left-wing guerrillas. But for Judge Galvez and a lot of other people, this was finally justice served. Pensó que un día algo así podría pasar, que el Estado, el sistema judicial, podría condenar a alguien como Rios Montt. Nunca lo pensé, nunca lo pensé. And even though it had been Judge Galvez who indicted Rios Montt, he himself still couldn't believe it when Rios Montt was found guilty by a panel of judges. He couldn't believe that the Guatemalan justice system had taken down someone so powerful. On Thursday morning, President Otto Perez Molina was forced to resign. He's accused of taking part in a multi-million dollar bribery operation. A few years after the Rios Montt ruling, Judge Galvez indicted another high-profile political figure, Otto Perez Molina. Perez Molina had actually just resigned from being president due to a corruption scandal. By Thursday afternoon, he was in court to face charges, and he spent the night in jail. This was the high point for the Guatemalan judiciary. For the first time, it seemed like no one was above the law, not even the politicians, not even the wealthiest and best connected. But the powerful rarely give up power without a fight. 
Y si vos golpeas el poder, no esperes que se ponga a llorar, pues el poder te va a reaccionar. That's after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. While the Guatemalan judicial system was being reformed, the military diary case was still slowly making its way through the courts. Y eso nos llevó pensarlo y repensarlo, repensar. O sea, hicimos mil ejercicios para entender esto, ¿no? Throughout the 2010s, Paulo Estrada Velázquez, the forensic archaeologist whose dad was among the disappeared, worked with government prosecutors to sift through evidence, trying to piece together motives and suspects for each of the 183 individual killings in the military diary. According to Paolo, even though the military diary case was taking a long time, it was still proceeding due to the CSIG reforms, which was really important. Finally, there were government prosecutors who had the power and the support to really work on the case. Judge Galvez told me that at that point, other countries in the region were taking notice of what was happening inside Guatemala's judiciary. La mayoría de países pedían también una, una, una comisión, pues. El Salvador and Honduras, countries who also had a long history of broken judicial systems and violence, wanted their own versions of CSIG. Meanwhile, in Guatemala, crime was going down. It seemed like the court system was getting better and making the country safer. Guatemala was finally starting to reckon with its history of war crimes. And this was bad news for Ricardo's dad. In 2012, the remains of hundreds of people who'd been killed during the Civil War were discovered buried underneath a military outpost that he'd been in charge of. The bodies showed signs of torture. Several skulls wore blindfolds tied around their eyes. Entre los militares que corrían peligro de ser sometidos a procesos penales ilegales estaba mi padre. After these remains were discovered, people started to say that Ricardo's dad was responsible. There was a real chance that he might end up in jail. But then, in 2015, celebrations in the streets of Guatemala City as Jimmy Morales' supporters savor his presidential victory. A guy named Jimmy Morales won the presidency. Prior to getting elected, Morales was already famous as this buffoonish comedian. So, of course, a lot of people compared him to Donald Trump. 
The comparison isn't perfect, but what's similar is that both are conservative and were elected as political outsiders. Morales' biggest campaign promise was that he would clean up the corruption that CSIG had uncovered. But pretty quickly, things turned. In 2017, CSIG started investigating Morales' presidential campaign, looking into evidence that he'd received illegal contributions. Not long after that, Morales began attacking CSIG. Thousands of people take to the streets of Guatemala City to protest their president. They're calling for President Jimmy Morales to reverse his decision to force out an international anti-corruption group. By the end of 2019, Morales had pushed CSIG out of the country. Judge Galvez says this is when things started to go bad. An internal purge began. The government started to go after the judges and prosecutors who had worked alongside CSIG. Often, those jurists were assigned to lesser jobs. But in some cases, the jurists were actually charged with committing crimes, such as abuse of authority. Some of them stuck around, but many simply fled the country. Casi todos los de la CICIC, el, o sea, toda la fiscalía, prácticamente están fuera. Y los que no están fuera, muchos están procesados. Just a few months ago, Galvez himself was charged with abusing his power as a judge. Charges brought by a group called the Foundation Against Terrorism, or its initials in Spanish, the FCT. This is video from a recent court hearing against Judge Galvez. The shouting guy is a lawyer for the FCT. Basically, the lawyer is accusing Judge Galvez of being a stooge for the United States. The shouting lawyer ends his statement by saying that he hopes Judge Galvez ends up in jail or flees into exile. This whole hearing is happening over Zoom, so the lawyer is really just shouting into his computer. He tenido amenazas desde el año 2000 y le yo que es algo normal. Galvez says that he's been a judge for a long time and these sorts of threats are normal. But in the video, you can see Judge Galvez's face clearly. And to me, he looks worried. In the video, sitting next to the shouting lawyer is another man wearing a suit. The man in the suit looks calm, and occasionally, a grin creeps onto his face. He's the head of the Foundation Against Terrorism, and it's someone we've already met. Soy empresario y soy al mismo tiempo presidente del Consejo Directivo de la Fundación Contra el Terrorismo. Ricardo Mendez Ruiz. En el año 2013, la Fundación Contra el Terrorismo nace a la vida legal. Ricardo started the FCT right around the time that Rios Montt was on trial in 2013. He was furious that his dad's old boss, someone he admired greatly, was thrown in jail. Y nuestro principal objetivo era la defensa de los militares veteranos del enfrentamiento armado interno que estaban comenzando a ser perseguidos. Ricardo says that the FCT's main objective was to protect the old military veterans like his dad, who were suddenly at risk of going to prison. For the first few years of its existence, the FCT wasn't very successful. 
They were lodging one legal complaint after another, but nothing seemed to stick. In 2016, Ricardo's dad just barely escaped being arrested. There was a big bust of ex-military officials suspected of killing people. Ricardo's dad died just five days before those arrests took place. Otherwise, he probably would have been arrested too. But around the time that CSIG left the country, the FCT started winning cases against judges and lawyers. So, over the last few years, Ricardo has become a sort of boogeyman in Guatemalan politics. Because anytime he announces the FCT's latest target, that person usually ends up in prison or in exile within a few months. In fact, the FCT has pressed charges against almost all of Judge Galvez's colleagues who fled into exile. And the FCT is not shy about its success. In the same pages Earlier this year, the Foundation Against Terrorism posted an image on Twitter of a bunch of Galvez's colleagues arrayed in a grid that looks like a bingo card. All of them have fled the country or been thrown in jail. In this image, they all had red X's over their faces. The only face without an X on it was Judge Galvez. The implication was clear. Ricardo and the FCT were coming after Judge Galvez next which is exactly what they did. Even with all the upheaval in the judicial system, Judge Galvez continued working on high-level corruption and war crimes cases. And in May of 2022, Galvez indicted nine former military officers in the case of the military diary. Ricardo was actually in the courtroom that day when the indictments came down. After Judge Galvez announced them, Ricardo said loudly enough so that members of the press and Galvez could hear him that now the Foundation Against Terrorism was, quote, in charge of the judge. Judge Galvez says he took that as a threat. El problema es ese, el, el caso mío, por ejemplo, el 6 de mayo, cuando ese personaje viene aquí al juzgado. Galvez says that he left the courtroom an hour and a half after Ricardo made his threat and noticed that a car was following him. He was shocked by how quickly Ricardo's threat escalated, and things just got worse from there. The next day, Ricardo and the FCT started attacking Galvez on social media, saying that now it was Galvez's turn. The FCT also filed a legal complaint against Galvez, which we heard before on the Zoom call. The FCT claimed that Galvez was illegally detaining criminal defendants prior to their conviction, which is something that the group has said before about other judges they've gone after. This is crónica de una Galvez says the fact that the case against him has made it so far has less to do with the law and more to do with politics. He even calls the proceedings the chronicle of an exile foretold. The U.S. State Department has labeled Ricardo Mendez Ruiz a corrupt and anti-democratic actor, which means that he can't get a visa to enter the United States. Ricardo actually mentions this on his Twitter bio. He's proud of it. And he's proud of what he and his group have been able to accomplish. Ministerio Público. 
y para los jueces y para los magistrados. Quien abuse de sus cargos va a ir a parar a la cárcel o va a parar exilado. Ricardo says that the fate of the judges he's gone after should be a lesson for other judges, and that those who, quote, abuse their authority will end up in jail or in exile. Esta etapa del enfrentamiento armado no se pelea con balas, no se pelea con muertes físicas. Sí se pelea en otros dos campos. Uno es el de, los, el de la justicia y otro es el de los medios de comunicación. Ricardo says that nowadays, wars aren't fought with bullets or with killings. Now the weapons that he uses are the justice system and the media. Nosotros pretendemos, por ejemplo, le voy a mencionar un ejemplo claro, el de Miguel Ángel Galvez, aplicarle una muerte civil. He also told me that by using those weapons, the judiciary and the press, he wants to give Judge Miguel Ángel Galvez what Ricardo calls a civil death. In early November, Ricardo started tweeting a picture of Judge Galvez once a day, along with a number. It was a countdown, predicting how long before Judge Galvez would flee the country. He predicted Galvez would flee on Friday, November 4th. When November 4th came around, Judge Galvez tweeted a video of himself talking to a camera, announcing that he'd left Guatemala. Galvez says he won't be attending the public hearing in the case against him that was scheduled for later that day, and that the judicial process against him violates the principles of an independent judiciary. A couple weeks after that video, Galvez announced that he also wouldn't be coming back to Guatemala. He resigned his judgeship, and he was now in exile. A few days before Galvez left Guatemala, the FCT tweeted an updated bingo card image of judges and prosecutors with X's over their faces. Only this time, Galvez's face had an X over it, too. I texted Ricardo about Galvez leaving the country. He responded that he would have preferred to see Galvez handcuffed. I asked Ricardo what was next for the FCT now that Galvez was gone. He named another judge that he wants to go after. The Guatemalan justice system has fallen pretty far since its high point a few years ago. Efron Rios Montt, the former dictator convicted of genocide, had his conviction overturned and died before he could be retried. That said, Otto Perez Molina, the former president Galvez indicted, was just found guilty of fraud and corruption. He said he plans to appeal. In the military diary case, the defendants are appealing their indictments. And now that Galvez is out of the country, no one knows what will happen next. When I talked to Paulo Estrada Velasquez, the forensic archaeologist looking for his dad, he was actually outside of Guatemala. He'd recently been threatened and said he had to leave the country until things cooled down. Still, he was defiant talking about the case. Que me saquen al juez. Para eso estamos los creyentes. Sí. Los creyentes podemos sostener el caso sin la fiscalía. Y con otro juez. Entonces, las víctimas seguimos. He said to me, if they get rid of one judge, we'll find another. Saquen al Fandegua, que saquen al GAM, que saquen a la PDH. Aquí estamos las víctimas. A nivel personal. The NGOs, the whole justice system, they can all disappear. In the end, Paolo says that victims like him will still be demanding justice, even if it gets them killed.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This story was reported and produced by me, Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, edited by Stephanie Karayuki and Annie Aviles. Vice News Reports is produced by Sam Egan, Sophie Cases, Adriana Rodriguez, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, Janice Yamoka, and Julia Nutter. Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producer is Steph Brown. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Karayuki. For Vice Audio, Annie Aviles is our executive editor and Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. Special thanks to Bernardo Calchol, Jorge Mario Mendoza, Patricia Ninet Martinez Rodriguez, Jessica Cristina Gramao Arqueta, and Andrea Carrillo Samayoa. I'm filling in for Ariel Dum Ross. If you like this podcast, please rate and review. It helps other people find us. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so make sure to check in next week. Hold up. 